Um, first of all, just to say where we are in the, in the calendar, I'm sure all these things have not uh, got uh, past you. Uh, we just read Parshat Bereshit. In fact, uh, in our shul in Zairanan, uh, we just completed reading uh, uh, Bereshit when the first siren went off uh, last week. And uh, we are in a new world. If you haven't noticed yet, we're in a new world. Uh, there was Tohu Vabohu, which I think applies both to the Jewish people before, you know, a week ago in terms of arguing about nothing and campaigning, running through the streets with flags, uh, arguing about nothing. Uh, it also describes uh, weekly uh, what uh, the Arabs did to us last week. Uh, and then everybody woke up the next morning. Uh, and there was light, a new light, uh, in the universe that everybody could see something which was obvious for 20 or 30 years that uh, these people want to kill us uh, and that they want to perpetrate a holocaust against us, which, uh, you know, to be honest, the last six months I've been campaigning, uh, BB and other people, uh, that to stop the training of kids as terrorists, which we've known about for 20 or 30 years in UNRWA camps in uh, Gaza and in the West Bank, Yehuda uh, Shamron, and... Uh, um, the uh, pay for slay, which is $350 million a year of American and UK and European taxpayers' money that goes to uh, create the biggest incentive scheme for terror in the world, um, and so forth. So these are the things which I've been focusing on a lot on the last six months, and I can tell you it fell on completely deaf ears. Then suddenly, uh, what happened last week, the whole world is aware of it. And uh, the pictures, which uh, there's a guy in a frat called David Bedin, who's dedicated his life for the last 30 years to making videos of training kids. Uh, in any, any films you've seen of, of Palestinian kids training with, with machine guns, uh, it's basically his cameraman that he sends in every year and makes a, a film against UNRWA, against the United Nations, trying to promote this idea, hitting his head against a, a, a brick wall. Uh, and then we sent out the link to his, his database and we've asked people to make videos from this. And gradually you'll see more and more of these videos, hopefully, uh, coming to light. Um, by Hior. And then we had, uh, we have, uh, Amabdil ben Maim Lamayim. Uh, process going through at the moment, the separation, a, a distinction between good and bad. Uh, maybe sending good, good, uh, Palestinians south and, and bombing north or whatever, whatever's going on. There has to be some sort of separation. And then only then, uh, uh, will, will, will the deshe sprout? Will there be a possibility for new life? Um, and now we're Parshat uh, Noah, and of course it hasn't gone beyond your imagination to see the word Hamas appears, you know, w- within that Parsha. Um, and if you look at the Onkelos translation for Hamas, uh, the world was full of Hamas. Uh, Onkelos translates, anyone know? Onkelos translation of Hamas? Chatufim. Chatufim means uh, kidnappers. Um, and then... Um, you know, talking about kidnapping, uh, you know, the, the goyim in the world, uh, think they understand, you know, the, if you, if you said to, to Christians, what's the one thing they know from the Old Testament? The first thing it says, the Ten Commandments. Uh, and the, and the two that will, they'll immediately come up with is Lotirzach, Lotignov. And they'll translate them as don't kill and don't steal. Which are two completely incorrect translations, because Lotirzach, <clears throat> as we know, means don't murder. Right, and the difference between murder and kill is difference between what they did to us and what we're about to do to them. And uh, and lotignov, we know, cannot mean don't steal because it's got to be a, a, a nefashot, didn't nefashot in the Ten Commandments, and therefore it must be don't kidnap, right? Uh, and there's other other mitzvot that refer to don't uh, steal. So, um, so th- this mistranslation that's occurred over the last two thousand years is now very very significant uh, in terms of what's happening. 
Um, those of you might have seen a film recently about proportionality. I don't know if any of you saw this, but uh, an English uh, author called Douglas Murray was interviewed on a Brit- British uh, news program. And uh, in England and uh, America, they talk about proportionality. You know, God forbid we should be disproportionate. So he said, you know what? Proportionality is only used in the context of Israel. It's interesting because I never thought about it. But I, if you think about it, the only time you ever heard the word proportionality is when it's a war with Israel. They never said about proportionality about the Ukrainians responding to Russia. They never said proportionality uh, in any other war in, in the world. But when it comes to Israel and we're attacked, then immediately the word proportionality comes up. So he, he said, he's a non-Jewish uh, author in Britain, and you should listen to his, uh, his one minute to a couple of minutes. Um, he says, if it's proportionality, he said, then the, that means the Israeli soldiers would have to go to certain villages, which are about the same size as Be'eri and, uh, and the other uh, villages and Sterot. They'd have to rape exactly the same number of women. They'd have to cut off the heads of exactly the same number of babies, and they'd have to take exactly the uh, same number of captives. So that would be pr- proportionality. So just to bear in mind uh, what's going on here. Um, but I, I'm not really talking about that. <laughs> I want to talk about uh, the fact that um, we have, um, you know, uh, we, ha- we, we have a tremendous uh, tragedy that occurred to the Jewish people. And there are different ways to respond to that. And the obvious way to respond to it was the shock and terror and fear and uh, uh, abhorrence. And uh, if I had a thesaurus, I could read you a thousand words, and a thousand words would not be sufficient to describe the feelings that we all uh, felt when we saw it, and the feelings that we feel continually as we find more out about it. Um, and that's one way to respond. Uh, and, and I'm not sure that is, uh, you know, th- that, that you can do by yourself. You don't need me to come and talk to you about. But I think there's another valid response. So the first response, I think, is Eov. My opinion is Eov, right? 50 or many chapters of, you know, questions and philosophizing and pain and suffering or whatever. And you come out at the end and really there's no resolution and, you know, fine, you didn't really achieve very much. My opinion, okay, I'm sure people who like Eov uh, will tell you something you know, that's very deep and meaningful. But I'm not sure. Uh, firstly, what Eov wasn't probably Jewish anyway. So I don't think it's, it's actually uh, a correct uh, Jewish approach to this type of tragedy. But I think we do have role models uh, for how to respond to this tragedy, to tragedies. Um, and because I'm not such a great Talmud Chacham, I, I sort of default to the simpler ones, which everyone knows about. Uh, and the one that came straight to mind was Rabbi Kiva. And Rabbi Kiva was the one who lost 24,000 students, probably in attacks from the Romans when he was fighting with uh, Bar Kokhba. In 50 days, 500 funerals a day. And uh, that was, by the way, you know, less, less than half uh, the number that uh, Am Yisrael is suffering this week. And uh, at the end of it, uh, he would have been quite right to sort of fall into a depression and go into oblivion and give up. He'd lost his closest friends, his closest relatives, no doubt, um, and everything that he'd worked for for 24 years. And yet... He starts again, he handpicks five students, he dedicates his time and his effort to building them up, the, uh, Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yossi, and so forth, and, and builds up the uh, rabbis of the Mishnah from scratch and preserves Torah Judaism for our generation today. Um, it's Rabbi Akiva who, when he's on the Temple Mount with his friends, he sees the fox running across, he's the one who laughs. And they say, why are you laughing? He said, because there are two prophecies. There's one prophecy which was... Uh, from Micha saying the second temple will be destroyed. And there's another prophecy from Zechariah saying the third temple will be rebuilt. Until I saw the second temple destroyed, I didn't believe the third one would be built. Now I've seen it destroyed. I believe the uh, prophecy of Zechariah. So that's why I'm laughing. Uh, 
And it was Rabbi Akiva who, when he was being flayed alive by hot combs from the Romans, shouted out, Shema Yisrael. And his students shouted out. Anyone know what his students shouted out? What they? Even now. Uh, Adka, Ad, Adkan, right? Now, what's the Havramina, right? And he said, I want to, I want to, to, to fulfill the mitzvah Shema Israel with all my soul. So what's the Havramina that Rabbi Kiva wouldn't believe in Hashem, right? If Shema Israel means I believe in Hashem or Hashem is one. What is the Havramina for students that he wouldn't believe in Hashem even though he was, his life was being taken? It doesn't make sense. So to understand this, you have to go to the Rashi on Shema Israel, which we always goes over our head. I don't know why. Rashi on Shema Yisrael. Anyone know what it says? Shema Yisrael Hashem Lokeinu Hashem Echad. Hashem, who is our God, who is our God now, will be the God of all the world in the future. He's shouting out to these Romans who are taking his life. My God will be your God in the future. So that's, you know, that, that's, that's what's going to happen. Okay, and his students are saying, Adkan, you give a, whatever about these Romans. They're killing you. They're taking your life. And you're actually telling them that you care that they will believe in your God in the future. Let them go to hell. Um, so somehow Rabbi Kiva is this guy who, um, has this tremendous, tremendous faith and this tremendous optimism about the future. And he sees in every tragedy, uh, the seeds of hope. And the Tivot Shalom puts it very beautifully. He says, if you take a seed, and you put it in the ground, and you had a camera that could look at what's happening to that seed as it's uh, in the ground, so you'd see that it would rot, it, it completely rot to pieces. And actually, anyone would, any scientist could, would say, this is completely dead, it's completely rotted. He said, however, he said, you know, at the moment, the 49th moment of degradation, let's say, it will suddenly uh, sprout into a little bit of green from the kernel that you didn't even see, and out will come a, an oak tree, which will last for a thousand years. So you know, this is how Hashem created the universe. He created through decay and through rebirth. And we know this is to be true. We know that uh, we were slaves for, I think, about 80 years, actually, although we were in Egypt for 210 years, but uh, you know, a little bit of confusion about how long we were slaves. But about 80 years we were slaves, and then we were taken out and we received the Torah. We suffered the tragedies of the Holocaust for uh, six years or so um, in the 1940s, and Hashem took us out, and we got Medina at Yisrael. And now we're suffering, <clears throat> yeah, we suffered the, 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 the tragedies, whatever, whatever, of, of the Six-Day War, and then we ended up with Yerushalayim and, and, uh, and, and the Kotel. Um, this tragedy now, one could say, uh, based on a prediction of <laughs> Jewish history, must be, or could be, the beginning of retain, of, of getting back Harabites uh, uh, and getting back uh, Beit HaMikdash. Um, and to say that you know, we aspire to building uh, Beit HaMikdash, I know it's, it's a very dirty word amongst Jews, particularly Orthodox Jews, but we do pray for it three times a day, so I feel that one has the license to say, yes, we will be building the Beit HaMikdash, and that is our aspiration. Um, just uh, before we before we go any further, just a couple of things. Uh, you, again, you may be aware. <clears throat> I have to say that I discovered the first source from a bunch of Christians on TikTok, and I only had TikTok this week, by the way. So, um, anyone seen Amos uh, Perik uh, Rishon uh, versus Vav at uh, Vav and Zion? No. Okay. Have, have, I, I tend to look at this. Go to uh, Chabad. So, if you type in Amos One Chabad on. Uh, uh, on, uh, what do you call it, on, on Google, uh, you get the following, um, verse 6. 
כמה אדוני על שלושה פשעי עזה, על ארבע לא אשיבנו, על גלותם גלות שלמה להשגיע לאדום. So, so Lord, the three transgressions of Gaza, yea for four, I will not return because they carried away captive a whole captivity to deliver to Edom. Uh, to which uh, the uh, commentators explain what are the three transgressions? Avodazora, Al-Akhba, Shvicha Damim, I think we saw that, Giloy Arayot. Okay, for four and a fourth one, whatever that might be. Maybe that was filming it at the same time, right? And Hashem says, I will not give them any, uh, I will not uh, spare any wrath. And the next post says, And I will send fire into the wall of Gaza and it shall consume its palaces. So one can take that as one uh, wishes. Uh, that's Amos. Uh, and then I'm listening to uh, Rav Shai Shechter this morning on my morning walk, and he quotes, of course, um, Hashem lo shav shakad shomer. If Hashem will not guard a city, its watcher keeps his vigil in vain. That's uh, Psalms 127. And uh, his point is that, you know, uh, there is no explanation of what happened last week. I think we can say that. I, I think... Uh, uh, it's clear that in the same way that the Six-Day War was a miracle, uh, which is inexplicable uh, from Hashem, this was a Gezeira, which is, again, uh, inexplicable, but had to come from Hashem. any case, um, talking about Rabbi Akiva, uh, I want to just mention one thing, and then we'll move on to, 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 to the next topic. But uh, there's another Gemara, uh, which says the following. It says that three things happen in the blink of an eyelid, the hair of iron. Mashiach, Metziah, and a Krav. The Mashiach comes, um, you find a lost object, and uh, you get stung by a scorpion. So, uh, let's say 2,000 years ago, a Metziah was a very valuable object. It would cost, to make a jumper, a sweater, would cost, you know, t- take a year's labor probably to twist all the, all this, the, the wool and to cut, cut it and to, to, to work on it. It'd be a $5,000 item. Um, if you found it, you were instantly rich. I found my Metzia, my lost object, uh, in uh, Tikkun Lael Shavuot, 1995, in Oxford University. My wife was, my wife-to-be was Lucy, was uh, the head of the JSOG, the Hillel there, running the Tikkun Lael. I came to visit a friend who was, uh, who was there uh, for a couple of days, and we met. I fell in love. I told my grandmother the next Shabbat that uh, I was going to, uh, I met the girl I was going to marry. A year later, she came back from Japan, because she went to Japan for a year, studied Japanese. Um, we got, uh, we started going out. Six months later, we were engaged, and six months later, we were married. And I, my life was changed by Mamatsia in Beheraf Ayan in the blink of an eyelid. Um, and Akrav is a low-level uh, animal life, uh, which uh, is probably prehistoric, you know, some sort of prehistoric creature that basically can go move basically horizontally, not, not even you know up up steep uh, slopes. Uh, it eats and it kills. And uh, 2,000 years ago, there would be no treatment for it, and certainly people would have died f- immediately from a, uh, uh, an Akra, from a scorpion uh, spike. The modern version of a scorpion, in my opinion, is a Palestinian terrorist who is a low-level uh, animal life that knows how to eat and to kill. And uh, my life was changed six months ago by two Palestinian Akravim uh, with a Kalashnikov and 20 bullets, and everything changed Becherif Ein. Um, I think Am Yisrael um, has found that uh, the life of uh, Am Yisrael has been changed by Herf Ayin by a few Akravim last week. Um, and uh, I want to say, you know, the Havdil, based on what Rabbi Akiva said, if I hadn't experienced my life change in an instant because of the Metziah, 
and I hadn't experienced the change because, in an instant because of the Akrav, I would not believe that Mashiach could come by Heref Ayin. Now that I've experienced those two, I think Ayin, and I think maybe Am Yisrael can believe that Mashiach too could come by Heref Ayin. Um, we're in inex- inexplicable times, um, and I said at the Leviah, I think the first Leviah, I said that uh, based on Rabbi Soloveitchik, uh, one can't ask Lama, one can ask Lama. One shouldn't ask why, but one can ask for what. So before we talk about <clears throat> Lama, for what, <clears throat> I want to qualify this because since then I've learned a little bit more uh, Emunah. Actually, somebody came to the Shiva and brought me a two-volume set of uh, Rav Chaim Friedlander, Sifte Chaim, on Emunah. Uh, and I picked it up. You know, a couple of months afterwards, I was just sifting through, looking through it. He was the Meshkiach of, um, of Ponovich. He was a, a Talmud of Rav Desla. He quotes, uh, you know, completely from Ramchal and Ramban and Rambam. So his sources are very good. And, uh, I su- was surprised to find that I found it very, very meaningful. And, uh, at the same time, the last six months, I went to a number of different, uh, Shirim, or not so much Shirim, but on Shabbat, I heard the rabbi speaking. Uh, and often the topic of Sadiq Ralo came up, and often he said the same thing, which is about, uh, you know, everything is, everything Hashem does is good, uh, but we can't always see it. You know, there's a tapestry, and on the back it's all, uh, doesn't connect, you turn it around, we can't see the other side, but if we can see the other side, and that didn't speak to me. Okay, it didn't speak to me then, and it probably doesn't speak to those 1300 families, uh, who have been bereaved last week either. Um, and yet I found Rav Chaim did. So I, th- I thought it'd be worth just sharing with you what Rav Chaim does, which he takes it a step further, which makes it a little bit more palatable, and maybe there's something which can also speak to you. Rav Chaim says that Hashem works through two mechanisms. He works through Shava Onesh, uh, reward and punishment, and he also works through Mazal. What is Mazal, says Rav Chaim? It comes from the Lashon Nezilut, or Nozelet. It's a drip, it's a leak. Right, a drippy nose or cold or whatever, or a leak through the ceiling, it's called nozelet. So mazal is loshan nozelet, right, which means a drip. So how do you understand that? So I'll explain to you how I understand it. So imagine you have like a sort of airline food, kosher food, and it comes wrapped up in cellophane. Okay, so our lives over the last 20 years, or 50 years in my case, have been wrapped in cellophane. We've been living in this beautiful little sort of sphere, you know, it's this encapsulated box. The rules of Shava Onish applied to us. Uh, we had a good Jewish education. We keep Shabbat. We have good mental health. We live in a lovely community, so we have a lot of friends. We bring up our kids with uh, Kibbut Avaim, so we have a nice family life, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, the, generally speaking, you know, Orthodox Jews we know live longer than average, and life is Fine. That is basically, and, and if you don't keep the mitzvah, and you just have a sort of wild life. So no, not surprisingly, people go to drugs and depression and all different types of things. So, uh, and that was the reality that we had. However, um, says Rav Chaim, there's a second mechanism that's at play. And occasionally, see, Hashem wants Gula to happen, but he also gave us free will. So how does Hashem make sure that Gula is going to happen in his time frame if he also gave us free will? So he says, occasionally he has to tweak it. How does he tweak it? So he p- takes a pin and he prods something inside the package. Okay. And who does he prod? He prods Am Yisrael. Why does he prod Am Yisrael? Because Am Yisrael are his agents for changing the world. Okay. We have been always in the past. Everything that's good come from, has come from Am Yisrael. Anyone interested? I've got some of my books in the back of the car. Uh, but my book, Transforming the World, talks about the things that Jews have done for, for the world and, and pretty much any innovation that's been of any valuable uh, value in the world has come from us uh, and from the Torah. 
Um, but basically Hashem prods, uh, prods through the cellophane and he pokes it and makes something happen uh, and change in the world. Um, now that doesn't necessarily, uh, answer any question, says Rav Chaim, because he does explain why, uh, who he pokes, it does explain when he pokes it and why he pokes it and what the outcome is going to be. But it gave me some sort of a chizuk. I think it would give the families, uh, uh, at some point, uh, when they're ready for it, some sort of chizuk to know that, you know, somehow Hashem has chosen uh, them and 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 and, the, and these people to be involved in 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 the, in the gula in the process of gula um, and interestingly just as a sort of uh, way of thinking about it uh, think about the shema okay what's the first paragraph of the shema what's what's the message we, we take we, the shema is the, is the prayer we teach our kids the first thing we teach our kids and the, and the only prayer that we have to say the right uh, twice a day right so what's the first paragraph of the shema What's, what, 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 in one word, what is it basically saying? Okay, maybe, uh, and let's say just God, there's God, right? God, there's one God, but however you want to understand, right? God, right? I understand. Okay, I'm teaching my kids. Okay, I want them to understand. There's God, right? And also I have to remind myself twice a day. There's God, right? Believe in God. Okay, second paragraph. What's the second paragraph in one word? Two words. Scarbonish, right? Okay, but fine. There's God. And if you do, if you do his mitzvot, you'll be fine. If you don't do his mitzvot, so you get punished. Okay, again, I understand that's a good thing to teach your kids. It's a good thing to remind yourself twice a day. Okay, third pack of the, of the Shema, which is out of order, by the way. So it's completely sort of, you know, random from a sort of logical perspective. What, what's the third paragraph? Sorry? Okay, don't all, don't all shout at once. Tzitzit, right? No, tzitzit. Okay, fine. Tzitzit, you see a mitzrayim, or mechut mitzvah. Nobody knows, right? I mean, it's, uh, Rabbi Brovin used to say to us, you know, Rashi says, uh, the, the, this is, if he's, if, if there's a Rashi and he says it's this, devarachet this, devarachet this, he says, what do we know from Rashi? Rabbi Brovin, he said, Rashi didn't know. Okay, so, so if, if there are three or four different explanations of what the third paragraph's doing, it means that we don't really know. I, w- I want to give a fourth. Um, everyone take, take the tzitzit, those of you wearing it, and if you're not wearing it, it's a mitzvah kumit, so it doesn't matter, right? Uh, take, take, t- hold, hold your tzitzit in your hand. Okay? How many strings are there in the tzitzit? Four. How many ends? Eight. Okay, now I want to challenge you. Okay, take two strings, uh, that are connected to each other and hold them together. Anyone can do that? Take two strings that are connected to it. Okay, anyone done that? No? Okay, so you can't do it, right? Why can't you do it? Because there's a complicated set of knots and strings, right? Okay, what a beautiful siman, right, mashal, for the idea of mazal, right? Because mazal means that, you know, we, we know there are four strings, and we know that two ends will connect, but we don't know which, okay? We know that Hashem has a plan, and we know that it's it's for the good, but we don't know how, and there's no way we can know how. By the way, one, some someone here in this room probably can take two and hold them together. Anyone? Ah, th- yeah, techelit. You want techelit? Okay, and, and and actually, it fits in very nicely. Why is it fitting nicely? What does techelit represent? Kisakavod Hashem, right? But what is the midrash or the Gemara? What, how to describe? It? it says it, the techelit reminds us of. The yam, the yam reminds us of the rakia. The rakia reminds us of the kisya. Now, oops, sorry, that's broken. Uh, sorry. Why, why, um, why, um, let me take this, put this in my pocket, okay. Why, um, why does it have to be that complicated? Why don't you just say it reminds us of Hashem, right? Wouldn't that be like a much better? 
I want to make a suggestion. Maybe what it's saying is, if you're the type of person who can see Hashem in the Yam, in the Rakia, in the Kisigwa, you can see Hashem in nature, you can see Hashem everywhere, then for you, you could connect the two pieces together. Right? For you, there's, it does, it, there's no such thing as Mazan. In fact, uh, Rav Chaim says at the end of this whole analysis, saying there's two mechanisms, he says, of course, Hashem is one. So it's impossible there could be two mechanisms. In fact, everything is Mazal, right? Or everything is Chavonesh, whatever. whatever. Everything is the same thing. But we, we don't really understand anything, right? That, that's basically it. We don't really understand anything. Things that we might think are reward, we don't understand that either, okay? So, uh, okay. Um, so the question is, what can we do? Okay, Lama. Okay, so I didn't really answer Lama. I just sort of addressed it, but uh, the Lama. Uh, and for this, let me ask a question. Does anyone here feel they could be doing more in the war effort? Okay. okay. Let me tell you something, that the feeling that you could do more is a gift from Hashem, and it's a message saying you need to do more. <laughs> okay? That's a gift from Hashem, and it's telling you when you have that feeling, you know, it's a feeling that tells you that's what you, you should be doing more. Okay. So it seems to me there are three aspects that we can address um, in terms of, of Jews, how we act, right? There's the second mission in Pakavot says that uh, the three things in which the world is built on Torah, Avodah, and Gimlut Chasadim, so the basic Torah, Tefillah, and uh, Maseh. Okay? Let's take them one by one. Torah. Okay? Um, Rav Sachs, uh, my sort of Moriva Rabbi for many years, um, had a beautiful Dvar Torah for Parshat Chai Sarah. Parshat Chai Sarah is the last parsha of the life of Avraham Avinu. And um, he's 130 years old. And he enters the parsha. And Hashem has promised him three things. One is you'll inherit the land. Two is that your ancestors will be like the stars of the heaven. And number three, you'll be the father of many nations. There's a problem, says Rav Sachs. And it's a beautiful Rav Sachs. And I quote it on his yard site every, every year, which is Parshat Chai Um, there's a problem. He's 130 years old. He hasn't got one square millimeter of Eretz Israel. His son's not married. He's got no, no grandchildren even. And, uh, he's got no shaykhut, no connection whatsoever with the people of the world at all. But, he, and he's 130 years old. So what does he do? He buys the first piece of land in Eretz Israel, Maratim Machpelah. He, uh, sends out Eliezer to find a wife for Yitzchak. And uh, he gets married to Keturah, has six sons, names them uh, Indian names, sends them off to the east, which Rashi says is Hodu, uh, and they seed uh, Hinduism and Buddhism and Eastern religions. And what's the main god in Hinduism? Raham. So figure that one out. Um, so that's, that's Avram Avinu, and of course he was very successful because not only Hinduism and Eastern religions, which is you know, a couple of billion people, but uh, one and a half billion uh, uh, Christians and 1.8 billion Muslims, so basically the majority of the world now follow uh, some in some way from Avram Avinu. But um, what's, what is the point? The point is that when Avram Avinu was in a crisis, he didn't know what to do, he, he went back to what Hashem had told him, and then he thought, that's what I need to do. We don't generally have Hashem telling us the three things that we need to do, but we have an advantage of Avram Avinu because we have something he didn't have. What, did he, what do we have which he didn't have? Ratzon Hashem. Torah. We have Torah, right? You guys are here. I learned Torah. Now, I can tell you that when, when tragedy struck my, my family, uh, it's like you're in a dark room and you're grabbing onto any sort of uh, handle that you can. Okay, and if it happens to be that there's Torah and mitzvot, whatever, around that you grab onto, so that's what you grab onto. If there, uh, if there isn't, God forbid, people grab onto depression and to drugs. Okay, so the Torah that you have at the time you hit a crisis 
is what will help you through that crisis. Okay? It may be that you're sitting sometimes in Shirin thinking, what, what, what am I learning this for? It's completely irrelevant to my life. But actually, the Torah that you have at the time when you hit a crisis is what will help you through that crisis. Okay? I say that because the Torah that you learn now over the next week, two, three, four, is not going to help you that much with this crisis, right? It might help you with the next crisis, but it won't, won't help you with the next. So, so the Torah is, is, that you've acquired up to this point is what's going to help you. Um, and, um, the question, okay, okay, that, that's Torah. What about tefillah? Um, there's a good question on tefillah. Why do we pray? I mean, Hashem's made his mind up. So, you know, what do, do you think that me, you know, Chaimi Cohen, I'm going to make a prayer and somehow I'm going to change Hashem's mind? Uh, isn't that arrogant? So I heard from Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg uh, a, a couple of years ago in Florida, there was a guy who won the uh, $150 million on the, uh, on, on the uh, lotto. Well, he bought a ticket in a particular shop near uh, Boca Raton and they knew which shop and they knew which number and they knew which card but he didn't turn up to claim it, right? Maybe it was in his clothes or he went to the washing machine, who knows, where it, nobody can. And they advertise every week front page news in the local papers. This card, this number, blah, blah, blah. we know everything about it. You bought it from this shop, you bought it on Tuesday or on uh, three o'clock. He never came. And in the end, the money went back into the pot. Says Rabbi uh, Goldberg, this is a beautiful mashal for prayer. He says, Hashem has got $150 million waiting for you. And all you need to do is come with the ticket. Hashem wants to give us, Hashem wants to, to bring our soldiers back safe. Hashem wants to bring us back the uh, hostages. But he needs every Jew to go and to pray. So if, th- th- there's no question the prayer that we have is not wasted. But that's two hours a day. So that's Torah and that is Tefillah. So that's not going to be, that's not going to fill that gap in us saying, what should we do? What the, the gap that we're going to do is going to be Masse, Asya, Masim uh, Tovim. So the question is, what, what can we do? Um, I think it's clear to people now <clears throat> that the war that's taking place is going to be fought on two fronts, and neither of them is more important than the other. Okay, one is more dangerous, perhaps uh, at a personal level, level, but the other one is uh, equally dangerous on a, on a cloudy Israel level. Okay, so the soldiers who are bravely going out to fight on the battlefield are risking their lives. There's no question about it. They're Giborim, and we should pray for them, and we should support them everywhere we can. But the second battle, which is no less important, is the battle of words. Okay, we say at Kadosh 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 Hashem Tzavakot Local Arts Kavodah. Rav Cook says, or uh, I saw this in a parish of Rav Fishman. Rav Cook says Hashem Tzavakot. I never understood what that term means. Tzavakot. Hashem is Tzavakot. The the bat the the army of words of letters. Tzavakot. Uh, and this is the we we we're fighting at Tzavakot. Right, uh, an army, uh, an army of words, and and those of you here who have smartphones, which I imagine is probably everybody, um, is probably aware of the of the of the words that are going around, and the the fact that uh, they, they number ten, a hundred times more than we do uh, on the other side here. So the quantity of material that is being produced by them and uh, the amount of, of uh, you know, if you type in Israel in Google, it's always been the case, you know, you get a thousand uh, citations of how terrible Israel is. I, t- I typed in Israel ambulance in TikTok because I want to get a film, a positive, a positive film about an Israeli ambulance to put into some little uh, film. Um, I got the first t- t- 10 stories came up were of Israel attacking a Palestinian ambulance, which, you know, probably happened once in the history of the state, right? And that was the main story that came out. Um, you know, despite the fact that Israeli ambulance have saved so many Arabs in the, in the last, you know, 50 years, it's unbelievable. Uh, that was what came up. So that, that's what we're up against. So I think those of you who, um, are able to create content, uh, I'm sure many of you are, 
to take the content, you know, to, to think about creating content and spreading it, uh, spreading it out. Um, I've been working with, I said, with this guy, David Bedin in, uh, in a frat. He, he's, he's got, uh, 50 films or so of, uh, uh Arab kids, uh, being trained to, to fight, uh, with guns, you know, 10, 12 year olds and being interviewed about how they want to kill Jews and so forth, uh, which he's taken over the last 20, 30 years in Gaza and in Yehuda and Shamron. Um, nobody, no one was ever interested in it. There's a link I can send to your Rabonim and, and you can have a look at them. They're access, the, you know, they're, they're, they're clean films. I mean, they're not, they're not violent like some of the other films you've seen recently, but, um, they're, they're very sort of, uh, visual. Um, one, I, I'm trying to get people to make films that contrast their summer camp this year with, uh, our kids' summer camp this year playing football or whatever they were doing. Just say, you know, this is what we're up against. <laughs> because and that, that's one, one way of looking at it. Another, another possibility is to, to to, to interview uh, friends, relatives, or contacts you have in uh, different towns around Israel um, and ask them why they came to Israel, why, you know, Anglos, why they came to Israel. They came because <clears throat> their grandparents were killed in the Holocaust. They wanted to come to Israel because it was the only safe place to live or because of Sephardi and because they were thrown out of the Arab lands. You know, imagine you know, that, that message going out, that people you know, explaining to non-Jews why it's important for us to be uh, in this country and why a Holocaust that took place. And by the way, you know, these words are very important. So, you know, Hamas is ISIS is a very important uh, brand. Uh, uh, the Holocaust that took place is a very important concept. It was a Holocaust, right? Uh, and not as somebody put, point out, uh, you know, he, he's doing a great job. Uh, it's not a small Holocaust, right? There's no such thing as a small Holocaust. A Holocaust of one person is a Holocaust, but a Holocaust of 1,300 people is, you know, is, is a major Holocaust. Um, so, so these type of words are, are very important. Um, it's important to explain to uh, non-Jews why this is, you know, is not just an attack. It's not just a, a battle. It's, it's, it's something ex- existential. Um, and I'm sure there are many other ideas that you, you have. Uh, and, and the messages are changing every day in this war of words. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I've jumped into the uh, Misrad uh, Hasbara, which has since closed down, I think, uh, which tells you a lot, um, on Sunday when this happened. And I, I, I met with them and gave them a few uh, pointers. They were sending me uh, videos made by some of their experts, um, and the English on these uh, videos was written, it could have been written by a three-year-old from a, a gun in Petah Tikva. Uh, so in the end, I ended up sending, I didn't have time, so I sent it to my 17-year-old nephew in London to uh, adjust the English. <clears throat> this was the official content coming from the government of Israel. Um, and the stuff that's coming out from the government is, is equally not high quality. I mean, Baruch Hashem, there are many uh, Americans and, and, and Europeans and, 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 and uh, experts all around the world who are you know, voluntarily creating content. But you guys are here for a reason, right? Your parents came to Israel. Your grandparents may have come to Israel. Nobody came when there was this type of existential war uh, happening. And you've come at this beginning of your year for many of you or your second year. Uh, you're here for a reason. You're English speakers. You're here in Israel. You need to fight. We need to fight this war. And you've been picked, handpicked by Hashem to be here. Okay. Not your friends who stayed behind in America. Not the people who came last year. Not the people who come next year. But you are here for a reason. So therefore, you know, think about what that reason could be. So that's one possibility, right? Is, is content. Number two, um, is charities in Israel are desperate. Okay. And particularly, I'm going to give you one example, but you know, you, you probably know many more examples. Uh, I got a call from one family, which is a charity that's helped my kids over the last six months with summer camps, paired them up with mentors. And it's been a real uh, support to us as a family. Um, the, uh, the boss called me up last week. <clears throat> he said, will I endorse his new campaign? I said, no problem. He said, he said, the number of families bereaved by terror in Israel doubled last Shabbat. 
<coughs> the number of families buried by terror, right? Orphans uh, buried by terror uh, doubled last Shabbat. In other words, over the last 30, 40 years, equal the same as what happened in one day. <coughs> so to give you an idea, there's no way they can cope. There are other uh, charities that work with uh, with bereavement. I mean, the, the number of psychologists that uh, you need, the number, I, I don't even know where you'd start. And then, of course, the, um, the army uh, is out there, um, uh, so the charities that are raising money for equipment, I think, you know, body armor and stuff like that, which they just don't have because the number of, of soldiers is unprecedented. Um, and I think, you know, you guys uh, are here, right? You have uh, family and friends in uh, America. Uh, I'm sure they have family and friends. I'm sure there is a network that could go from here that could spread across most of the English-speaking world and many people who have a lot of money and could be persuaded to give. So that would require you perhaps finding a charity that you want to support, asking them if they can set up a J-Give page for you and setting up a campaign on your own for, you know, for, for those charities. Um, <clears throat> and then, of course, there's other options which are more physical, which maybe you're doing already, making food, barbecues for soldiers and clothes and so forth. Um, how do you decide what you do? Because there's an infinite amount of choice. Um, I, I would say as follows. What, what is your passion, right? It, and uh, people should do what their passion is when they have a challenge like this, right? And, and how do you know what your passion is? <clears throat> your passion is, okay, as I'll give you a hint. Your passion is when you have an hour off from Shirim and from Pulot and from dinner, whatever it is, and you have the, like the one hour a day, whatever it is, to, to yourselves, what do you naturally do? Do you reach for your phone and start going through Instagram? If so, you should be creating content, not watching content. Do you pick up the phone and speak to friends and family abroad? Yes? If so, you should be the one raising money, not just talking rubbish, but actually uh, raising money and asking them to raise money and, and making something happen in terms of uh, fundraising. Or do you go and play football on the, on the pitch? You like some activity, in which case you should be the one packing boxes in a warehouse somewhere, uh, sending stuff off and schlepping it around. Okay? So in other words, you know, find something that connects with you, but I'm telling you something, Israel needs you. Uh, another point to, to point out, out is that American kids are like British kids, are like European kids, very different to Israelis. Okay, I don't know if you've, you've noticed this, but my daughter Rina, as uh, when she, when we arrived nine years ago, was six, and uh, we um, she had a friend across the road who'd come home every day for lunch when she came home from school at one o'clock, and. Um, my wife Lucy said to her one day, she said, you know, why, why does uh, Sarah not invite you back to her house occasionally? And we discovered that apparently her parents <clears throat> came back at four in the afternoon. She was expected as a six-year-old girl to come home to an empty house, make herself lunch and uh, occupy herself for two or three hours until they came home. And that was normal. And it turned out it was relatively normal. It wasn't abnormal. Uh, in, in America or Britain, it would be child abuse. Uh, in a frat, it was not that ab- abnormal. Um, by the age of 12, most of these kids are completely independent. You don't even know where they are. So that's why I have a, an app to try and uh, locate them. Um, and by the time they're 18, a lot of them already got startups, you know, were, were ready to become billionaires. Um, so that, that's the sort of Israeli startup mentality. But what that means is that like in Britain or in America, uh, you go to job until the age of 25, you have a boss who tells you what to do and gives you a list of like, 100 different things, a, a review at the end of it, and measures you against 100 different criteria. Uh, that doesn't happen in Israel. In Israel, you have to be completely independent. You have to think about what you want to do, what, what's needed, and just go off and do it. Okay. And sometimes you're right, and sometimes you're wrong, but nobody's going to tell you what to do. And that is what's going to happen now. Nobody will tell you what to do. The stuff that you need to do, you have to decide what it is you want to do. I, I suggest getting groups of two or three and brain 
brainstorming together what you'd like to do, how you'd like to cont contribute, and just get on and do it. There is no resource. The people, e even if there were people who could tell you what to do, they're all fighting on the battlefront. You know, the Minister of Diaspora, which is now the, 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 the uh, ministry that's meant to be taking care of, of propaganda and communication, is fighting uh, on one of the fronts. Okay, so that gives us great confidence. No, nobody's speaking to the diaspora. Okay. Um, as you can imagine, you know, besides just the, the non-Jewish world, we have to talk to the Jewish world. Okay. And within the Jewish world, there's like, uh, you know, the Democrat voting, uh, reform New Yorkers, right? Now, I, I said at the beginning, we're in a different world, right? The people who were Democrat voting, uh, not, you know, reform New Yorkers who hated Israel and probably hated you and hated Rishiva and hated anything that was Jewish, uh, last week, Possibly are, you know, as right wing as Ben Gavir today and uh, also looking to put on Sitsit or something. Who, who knows? I'm saying the world has changed. So the messaging has to change. You have to be aware of what, what's going on now. There's a whole. You know, so so how are you going to speak to them? How are you going to get them on side? Right. Uh, Christians. Right. I, you, know, you know, the Christians love uh, Nevi'im. Right. They know much more than we do. Um, so read through uh, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Zechariah. Um, yeah, I say one couple of verses in Amos. Uh, read through them again. Make sure you understand what they are, because there are some messages there which the, the Christians are absolutely, uh, you know, sort of lapping up. But and that's a critical. These are critical messages as well. We should be pushing them. What about ethics? Right, you guys are in yeshiva. You guys are studying Gemara. Right, uh, there are ethics as to warfare. Right, so maybe it's a challenge for the for the rabbonim now. You know, what is the ethics of killing kids um, if they if they if the terrorists are hiding underneath them and so forth? Right, um, I think there are ethics. Right, and 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 yet people you know who believe that lo tirtzach means don't kill uh, and believe in proportionality are not going to understand that. Right, but you guys could understand that, and you could understand it in a way that you could translate it into language that other people could understand. Think ahead. Think what's going to happen in the battle in a week's time, in two weeks' time. Where are we going to be? What's the public outcry going to be? Have have material. Have learned. Have, have stuff done in advance so that it's ready to go out. And don't think that just because you're sending it out on your network and getting a few hundred, maybe a few thousand views, you're not influential because some of these ideas like this uh, Hamas equals ISIS came from someone like you probably. I don't know, probably at the end of it, somebody will identify who it was. It was probably some guy or girl, right, who sent out a private tweet and, and it just hopped. And right, this idea about Holocaust, I, I don't know, I saw it, it was a, a Kim, Rabbi Kimchi's son uh, at Harvard who, who, who I heard it from first, but now it seems to be going quite, uh, you know, I'm sure it won't be long before BB starts picking up on it. Um, so, you know, any, you know, you could have an idea that could very quickly be adopted by, um, <clears throat> by, by the mass of Jewish media and, and could swing things and, and, and help the, the dialogue. So, um, so that's, um, that's where that's where I think we are, um, and um, yeah. I mean, I just uh, uh, I guess my, my my overall message is, you know, we don't need to be like Yov. Uh, we don't need to sit here and lament. Uh, there will be a time for that, and uh, as we know, you know, Yom Rizikaron leads into Yom Atzmaut, and maybe that's how we'll commemorate this. Uh, you know, that uh, we'll have a Yom Zikaron leading into Yom Beta Migdash, whatever where the equivalent will be in. Uh, in a year's time or two years' time. But uh, now is not the time to, to, to be spending in uh, Yom Zikaron. Now is the time to be uh, working hard on trying to get to uh, Yom Beit HaMikdash. And um, that's, uh, I think, Rabbi Kiva. So t I think today we should all be B'nai Akiva. And uh, I'm happy to take any questions. When trying to promote Israel abroad, how do you deal with people who refuse to listen to logic? Right. I, I think that it's... Um 
It's a very good question. I think you're not going to convince everybody. Um, uh, you know, it's frightening to see the tens of thousands of people who were, you know, with Palestinian flags in London and New York and Chicago and so forth. Um, and bear in mind that, God forbid, um, but it could become very violent for Jews. You know, and, in other words, you know, it could become very violent for Jews in America, Britain, Europe, and they're starting to panic now, um, and quite rightly so, because I think, you know, strangely enough, we're safer here, even though we saw a massive um, uh, error in, in judgment uh, last week. I think uh, overall we're, we're safer here. But uh, bear in mind that in any uh, situation of opinion, you have the extremes, and then you have a large majority that are in the middle. And uh, you can swing those people in the middle. And uh, yeah, so that, that, that's who you're going for. And don't, don't worry that the people who disagree with you are not going to convince everybody. But uh, if you can swing, the, you know, if we can swing the majority to our side, that will, uh, will help. By the way, one other thing I want to say is um, I imagine the number of you getting pressure from family to come uh, go back to the States or, yeah, is that, uh, I guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I want, I want to say a couple of words about that because I was asked that in other, other places. How many Jews are there in the world today? About, about 14 million. How many, how many Jews in Israel? 7.2. Okay, so it's not, uh, you know, it's a mathematical challenge to work out that the majority of Jews in the world now live in Israel. If you hold by the Ramban, uh, that he holds the mitzvahs outside of Israel only for practice, so therefore every Jew should be in Israel you know, for the last thousand years. Uh, if you currently live outside of Israel, it's because you're relying on other opinions, such as the Rambam, who held that, uh, who holds that, uh, the mitzvah of living in Israel is the Rabbanan until such point at which uh, Rav Amba Aritz, right? at which point it becomes a mitzvah to write up. We are now reached, we've now reached that point this year which is interesting, because um, you're here, and this has happened, and uh, it's also the 75th anniversary of Israel, and 75 is three times 25, three generations, um, and Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Chazaka, once you're here for three generations, you're here forever, okay, and t- the tafkid of Am Yisrael is to stop looking inside, stop arguing about uh, uh, reforms and all this sort of stuff, and start looking outside and dealing with global issues, um, and Hashem has just made that transformation happen within 24 hours. Um, but uh, what that means is that uh, it is now mitzvah de writer to live in Israel. Uh, mitzvah de writer, no different, in my opinion, to uh, keeping Shabbat or Kashrut. Uh, if you want to be a reformed Jew living in Lakewood or uh, Crown Heights, you're welcome to do so. Uh, and just as people don't keep Shabbat, they don't have to keep uh, mitzvah de writer of living in Israel. But if you want to be an Orthodox Jew, I don't think there is a choice anymore. And if your parents call you up and say, come home, the answer is, no, you come home. Um, so uh, that, that, I think, is the correct answer. Um, so any other questions? Okay. So I, I just want to say that... Uh, what, 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 what? Okay. Okay. Yofi. Um, I, I'd say one more thing that uh, I actually Benny Lehman. Benny Lehman is uh, yeah, he's one of the rabbis here. So he treated me as a psychologist for uh, for a while uh, at the beginning of my trauma, uh, and he told me something very very uh, important, very interesting. He said that uh, when you're going through trauma, there are two things that affect you. Okay, there uh, which are happening in parallel. You know, maybe not aware of it. Number one is that your lifestyle has changed in the sense that you come home, your wife's not there. 
um, you have Shabbat meals, you know, uh, you, your families aren't sitting around the table with you. So, you know, your, your, the conversations you would have had, the time you would have spent on the telephone, the, your, your, your whole routine has changed. Uh, and that's a stressful in itself. You have to change, fill in those gaps, find other things to do, and, and, and it's a new life. Um, but the second stress is the fact that when you think about them and what you've lost, then there's a pain. And I find, you know, if I were to sit here for, for five minutes and tell you about uh, Lucy and Myron Reno, I would be in tears. So if you think about what you've lost, that would, uh, you know, that, that's something else. And I think that Israel is going through the same trauma, that we've lost something tremendous on the one hand. Uh, our lives have changed dramatically because we're now in war mode. Um, so we have two separate uh, stresses going on, which are upsetting us. But uh, Rabbi Shlomo Kimchi has a beautiful uh, formula for how to deal with trauma, which I think uh, speaks, speaks to me. Uh, and and the, the, uh, the letters are Shemot. Shin, Shigra. Mem, Mashma'ut. And Taf, Tikva. He says, uh, you need to find a routine. Right? If you find a routine to get into, that will help you through the trauma. Uh, Mashmaut, if you can do something meaningful, like find a project that can be a contributing factor to this war, uh, that will help you. And tough, uh, tikva, hope that if you can be positive and you can see that actually, you know, every single trauma that's ever happened to the Jewish people has always led to uh, a step closer to Gula, then I think that is something else as well. And so, um, that, and, and those three things actually will help you on, on two sides. Number one, if, if you can find the, a positive way to contribute to this war effort, it will fill in that gap of time and stop you worrying about the fact that we're in war effort, war, war mode and that the shirim are not quite the same. Nothing's quite the same because you'll have something to jump out of bed in the morning to do and every day and to, and, and to be active in. Um, and number two, when you think about the terrible loss of, of what happened and, and, and the tragedy that happened, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll be feeling uh, more hopeful and more meaningful about it because you're doing something meaningful uh, and hopeful. Uh, and so therefore you'll be able to transform those feelings of what happened into something a little bit more positive. So that's uh, what I've tried to do in my tragedy um, uh, and by doing you know, things which, which sort of get me out of bed in the morning. And I think it, to the extent that you can find that thing that makes you feel that you, know, you are doing enough, uh, that will solve a lot of those feelings uh, that you have and all, 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 all the trauma feelings uh, which connect it. So uh, later. <laughs>